Hello, everybody. We are back today with another episode of the Petra Podcast with a wonderful guest, Zoe Berghoff. And so we've been chatting a little bit right before we got on here. And I'm like, okay, we need to pause because we're going through all too much good content already. So Zoe, can you uh, introduce yourself, let the listeners know who you are and kind of go through a little bit of your story? Yes. Thank you guys for having me. My name is Zoe and I'm an Airbnb host and as well helping others do the same. So we focus on unique properties for ourselves. We have glamping properties, traditional, more single family home, and we actually just purchased a cabin. We're going to do a full renovation on full fixer upper. (laughs) And we are really highlighting those OMG stays, unique stays. Um, currently, we are all on the West Coast, and we kind of stay in that area. We found great success there, so that's where we're at. But I'm super excited to be here today. Thank you guys for having me. Let's get into it. Absolutely. So, yeah, bring bring us back to the uh, the beginning. What did you guys, uh, you said you guys, and so I'm assuming your husband, yeah. uh, what, what did you guys do prior to getting into Airbnb? What was kind of the story of getting into real estate investing? What were you guys doing prior? Yeah, so I feel like everyone has this response that they got in by accident, but that's just (laughs) how we're all here today. Um, My husband is a pilot. So when we first kind of started Airbnb, he was in flight school. It was complete shutdown. No one was flying. And we actually were in our year. So we had a year before it was like a cool thing to do um, for Airbnb. And we were actually living in it, but we were traveling so much in our rooftop tent, which was on our car that I was like, we should Airbnb this. And he was like, no, no one would ever pay for that. You know, it's like not finished. And I'm like taking photos as he's saying that like, okay, yeah, sure. And we just put it up on the weekends we were gone and we like instantly saw bookings come through. We, you know, a year doesn't have a ton of expenses every month, but we were making great profit. And I was like, this is like actually something that people would pay for. So that summer we kind of made ourselves homeless per se, because we started renting out the year almost full time. And we just like traveled when it was rented. And then fast forward six months later, we actually had a single family home that was long-term rented and the renter moved out. He gave us a 30 day notice. My husband and I were not married at the time. So I wasn't necessarily going to start paying his mortgage. Um, (laughs) Even though (laughs) he was the one, I was like, you know, I'm smarter than that. So we, He was still in flight school. The pandemic was still happening. There was no income coming in on his end. And I was like, we have to figure out something to do with this house. So we flew back, took every furniture item from the year and furnished the house in like 48 hours, put it on Airbnb. And within the first month, it paid the mortgage. And I was like, this is, this is happening. Like, we're going to keep going with it. He at the same time had the house listed for sale um, because we really did not know what to do with it. It was the market was high, we could sell high. So about six months into that, I realized like this is a full on business that we're running by accident. Um, So that summer we had the two properties and then we kind of just pivoted our goals, financial goals and vision, put money back into those properties and then scaled to further properties. Very interesting. (laughs) Where are these properties located at? So we are in Colorado about like three and a half hours from the Denver International Airport. So it was kind of a luck of the draw that the area was a tourist place. That's not super common that a long-term rental could become an Airbnb, but we're seeing it more and more. Um, But we're kind of in that like family sweet spot. I always say the golden triangle, you gotta be like near an airport, near the nature, tourist type things. And that kind of fell right into that. That's awesome. So the, the, oh, go ahead, Yoni. 
So I was about to ask, so I, I want to learn a little bit about your philosophy. So I, I have two things that you said the last five minutes that stick out to me, golden triangle and yes. OMG, OMG stays. Can you dig into why you say the golden triangle and why you love OMG stays? Because OMG stays is a new thing for people that are in the Airbnb business joining now. They think it's been, been a thing for a long time. It's been a thing for like, I don't know, maybe less than a year, you know? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So we'll start with the golden triangle. That's kind of a Kai Andrews term, which I love Kai Andrews. Everyone should follow him, especially if you're into glamping, land hacking. Um, I kind of steal his terms a little bit because that's such a good way to describe what this is. So the golden triangle is a great way to define what market you want to go into. Um, there's about three things you want to be within somewhere, international airport or an airport where they're going to come into something that is going to have a tourist attraction and then like a nature attraction. So that's kind of why we're seeing, you know, national parks do really well. They're coming into that airport, the nature thing. And then let's say like the Gatlinburg downtown is the attraction that they're coming to. That golden triangle will keep you booked in higher occupancy than others that don't have it. And that OMG stay category is where Airbnb is going. It is a hard category and I don't want to make it sound like it's super easy because permitting, zoning, developing land is a real thing and you have to know what you're doing when you do those stays. But the OMG stays, whatever category you wanna fall into with those is where Airbnb is going. The most crazy, wackiest stays you can get is where the industry is going to go and that's what's going to keep you booked versus your competitor so tell me okay you talk about kai andrew so i know you're into land hacking so maybe tell us a little bit about some of the wackiest coolest airbnbs that you're inspired by that you want to move towards the niche within the omg niche yes so there's some that i absolutely love and then there's some that i love but i know i don't want to do myself because of the permitting and how struggle it's going to be with the county um so What's super interesting is A-frames are not super difficult to permit and do really well. And I know we have some A-frame expertise in here, but um, they the curb appeal is there. Like it's not super crazy of a stay, but that curb appeal is there. And that's what draws people to stay into these A-frames. So we actually almost built an A-frame for this summer, but then permitting became like, everything was double the cost. And we were just like, this is not worth it. Um, so that's such a realistic way to build a very unique looking stay curb appeal and a-frames don't cost usually a ton of money because you don't have an entire roof you have to build you have two pitches so that's a great uh, into it and you could even buy a-frames right now whereas when you get into glamping these tree houses these dome geodomes like that is when permitting and zoning is going to really come into play with your business and you really want to understand those ins and outs before you get into that because the permitting could shut down your business before it even becomes a business. So uh, whenever, yeah, I mean, zoning and regulations, stuff like that, because I've been personally looking into it and that is, yeah, absolutely a huge thing. And so anybody that's trying to figure it out, Kai Andrews is your guy. I've been following him and a lot of his YouTube content is phenomenal. Um, but it sounded like you guys kind of got into this before, you know, learning a lot about the real estate side of things with your year. So how did you guys know what you were doing with the year? Can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah, so that's a great question. The year is a unique stay, glamorized tent. Um, honestly, the years are not built to last forever. Ours has like a 10 year roof warranty, which is about, I decide that it's probably not going to last too much longer than that, if that's their warranty. Um, and it is an awesome stay. And yurts are really common because they do uphold a lot of weather. Ours is about five years old and 
it survives every winter. We have probably like seven feet of snow at the property and the, the year is standing. <laughs> so that's a good sign. Um, and it's only seasonal. So it could be all year round, but this is where I also think you need to think about glamping and unique stays is the seasonality and climate because yurts don't do super well in humidity. So I would not really suggest someone to go to like Florida and put a yurt up because it's gonna like literally drip down the walls. Um, and also it's not super insulating. Ours is insulated further than what you can just buy. But it has a wood fire burning stove, but I'm very realistic that it sounds great. The snow being in the winter with the wood fire burning stove, but it's not as glamorous as it sounds. It's cold. That fire cannot go out. And I don't want to put up with guests, one star reviews, negative complaints. It's not worth it. So I think that's where you kind of have to decide if you're going to do a unique stay like a geodome, what is your temperate? What's your climate you're going to work with? Because you also have to like put the you know safety of the guests <laughs> number one in mind and make sure that you're setting them up with a realistic experience that they're going to enjoy. So. I'll tell you, so, I'll tell you something, Zoe. I, I considered doing uh, one of these units. I'm actually building a double A frame in Tennessee, but when yes. I was considering a, a dome, a geodesic dome, I was like, how are we going to protect the guests from the bears? I don't know. Yes. I don't know. And I, I don't think you have this problem. I mean, maybe you have this problem in Colorado. I don't, I don't know, but like I never growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, I never had to think about like bears breaking into a geodesic dome or a house. It was just the Chicago bears that were getting you. <laughs> yeah, we actually do have bears and our year is on an elevated deck, which was built with the intention of like wildlife and animals thinking it's only canvas, like animals are going to want to come in we have actually luckily never had that problem we've even had bears like in our driveway but they just don't come up to the year um it is on a deck though and we do let our guests know and this is also something to think about is like you have to simplify everything for your guests to the point where like you have to tell people you cannot leave trash outside or don't leave it in your car and like he's i'm from the midwest like that is just not in our world to worry about but as a host it's your job to relay the simple things that seem very obvious to you, they are not obvious to everyone in the country. So one of the biggest questions that I always get from people about glamping, and I'm curious how you guys set it up with your yurt, is the water and the, the septic or the sewage. How, how do you guys tackle both of those things? Yeah, so I work with a lot of people that I always tell people when you're looking at land, land is not created equal. So you'll see land for $10,000 and $1 million. And there's usually a reason for that. You always, when you're going into glamping, want to think about what's your number one utility that you must have. Do you have one in mind? Is power more important than water to you? Because no matter what, you can always work around utilities. There's solar, you can bring in water, fill it up, um, but you need to decide what is that experience that you're trying to offer needing to give that creature comfort. Um, you know, in Arizona, water's not super realistic. So a lot of people doing glamping are bringing water in, but solar is super realistic. So I always encourage people, think about your vision before you go in and buy that land because drawing power, drilling for a well, a septic, that can be hundreds of thousands of dollars if you don't do your research ahead of time. And that's why land is not created equal, but we do offer very creature comfort amenities, which is why I think we can charge three, $400 a night for a year. That's not always super common, but I, I mean, there's composting toilets, solar, no water. We lived in a van across the country for a year and we didn't have those utilities and we even rented out the van and people rented it. So it can be done. 
So that, with the water situation, then are you bringing in water from elsewhere or is somebody coming and delivering water or? Yeah, so we personally drill, we have a well. So we drilled a well that was an expense to the property when it was purchased, the land did not have water. So that was our own expense. But I've worked with people that are, you know, doing Arizona and I just tell them, you know, at your expense, if you drill a well, you're going until you hit water. So that could be a lot farther than you think, um, unless you're on like, you know, the water grid. But yeah, we had a well that was an expense we knew going into the property. And that's why you need to kind of have your vision and know what to look for before looking at land and buying land becomes a reality because those expenses can add up a lot. Super helpful. That's very helpful. I mean, I bought I, I bought 21 acres, which is where I'm building the A-frames, and I learned a mm -hmm. lot about buying land. There, there's it's hard to value them. People value them all over the place. You know, there are trees on it, there are not trees on it, flat or not flat, septic, no septic, well, no well. I mean, there's the things you probably can give a master class on. You probably already do. Um, where like I got lucky. I bought I bought land. And ha it happened to have a well and happened to have uh, a septic installed It happened to have flat areas. What would you say to somebody who wants to have a glamping site or, mm -hmm. or build an A-frame or any kind of OMG type property that we're, we're referring to? What would you say to them, a rookie going in, and if they might hear this clip, like what would you tell them is the most important thing to look out for? The most important thing to look out for is the county you're going to be working with. You need to be very mindful when you're looking at land, the land could literally be two options are next to each other. And one county falls into this and the other falls into this. And that could make or break your entire business plan. I was watching a video yesterday about someone who just luckily bought into this county and not that county. And now they can have an entire farm. They can do five sites. There's no zoning and restriction. So that would be my number one thing. And also you don't want to like, creatively restrict yourself but you do need to have somewhat of a vision like if you're trying to build a tree house you better have trees on the property if you <laughs> want to do yurts you need a build site like you really have to think about those things because excavating the side of a mountain is going to add on tons of cost to your property if you aren't thinking about that build site beforehand well said that that's really well said i i wish i met somebody like you before i bought land <laughs> i just went to tennessee boof, booked a flight <laughs> stayed in an A-frame and was like, I'm going to see land. And I had no idea. I literally, God was on my side, the universe, karma. Yeah. I manifested it, whatever. I was able to get like the perfect amount, perfect land. So more people need to know about you, Zoe, because you can prevent a lot of uh, starts and stops, I would say, from people's hard-earned money. So then uh, moving to, uh, you know, next properties, moving on, then the full gut job. Tell us a little bit about yeah sorry what time are you the the full gut rehab on the cabin oh my god the full gut. i'm like ignoring <laughs> that in my vision in reality <laughs> i'm like oh. okay so we bought a property um it is actually the lowest sold house probably in our county in the last four years so if that tells mm. you anything there was nothing we built there um but what we really saw with this property was it is a 1940s cabin it's scary, spooky, absolutely. But we see the vision for it. And what was really promising, it was so funny, and this shows to anyone in real estate, like do not burn out with the vision that you might have. So when this property hit the market, it listed at 650,000. It's about three bed, two bath. 
depending what you think a bedroom looks like. <laughs> and 650, we called the realtor and we were like willing to do seller financing. We reached out about this. He's like, absolutely not. There's no way we won't take anything under. We were like, all right, whatever. The property was still on the market 11 months later and it dropped down to 450. So we called again 11 months later and I was like, yeah, we're interested. My husband's a pilot. And he was like, I think I spoke to you guys. 11 months ago. And I was like, you did. <laughs> so we toured the property. He wouldn't even tour it with us. It was like, just not worth his time. He sent a different realtor in his firm to show it to us. And we ended up being the ones who bought it. We went into an offer battle. Um, we were able to leverage more money off when we did a inspection to the septic that was able to negotiate more off. And when we ended up closing, there was eight other people behind us willing to close on the property and come in. And then when we saw the property the first day, the neighbor came up to us and said, are you guys the owners? I've been wanting to buy this property and I wanted to meet who I was going against. So it was kind of reassuring to know there was so much interest in it from Denver fixer uppers. It's definitely a full fixer upper or an expensive teardown. Um, but the first single family home we have in the year we my husband built himself. So we have some handy skills on our hands. Um, so we plan to do a lot of the general contracting ourselves. And then we have, you know, resources and outsourcing from the first build we did. It's in a similar area. So we actually are becoming our own competitor, but they're completely different visions of properties. Um, we closed on it like literally like two weeks ago. So, so it's, <laughs> it it's looks, very fresh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Nothing so, has changed. So you mentioned seller financing. Were you, did you guys, were you able to mm -hmm. purchase the property with any sort of creative financing? Cause that's kind of like the big buzzword with Pace Morby everywhere yeah. now. Yeah. So owner carry seller financing. I actually suggest this for so many people, like just ask because you don't know. And honestly, a lot of the time the seller could benefit from it unless they need that cash for their next purchase. Even with land, I tell people like ask about owner carry because the land they probably got for so cheap. And if you just pay them installments every single month, you always want cash on hand, like keep as much cash as you can. Cash is king, especially in a build. It's just always going to go over budget. So even with land, if you're someone looking at land, like ask about owner carry, but we actually got completely shut down with our owner carry. This owner specifically needed the money to just cash out and pay this property off. But we did use creative financing where we took out a HELOC of our first property and we used that to buy this one. So we actually came in as a cash buyer and that's why we got it was we were cash buyers with the HELOC. So I don't suggest everyone takes out a HELOC to buy more real estate, but if you run the numbers, we ran the numbers cash on cash return with extremely low occupancy, extremely high. I even pulled in my friend Maddie, who is an expert at running numbers. Cause I was like, I just, don't believe that this is like a 46% cash on cash return. And she ran it all. And she's like, I actually ran it. It could be even higher. So you're good. Like, that's it. And I was like, all right, this is real. Let's buy it. But, um, you know, if you're going to take out a HELOC, do it at your own discretion and make sure you are careful with running the numbers. That's... So would you, would you mind just touching on like the, the risks of using a HELOC versus, you know, trying to just use your own money and like what, some of the pitfalls can be whenever you use a HELOC. And for everybody listening, a HELOC is a home equity line of credit. So using the equity in one of our other properties to take a loan to you know pay that. Yes. So um, with our property that we did take the HELOC on, we did not take the full equity we could have. So we still have more equity in that property. We did a very 
we didn't actually have to get it appraised. So there's been such an equity hole in that area that we could put a number and they would lend to it. Um, so we could actually lend even more. But the biggest thing with the HELOC is you need to have a game plan of what you're going to be doing with that HELOC after that first year, I'm going to say. So our interest rate is, you know, four, 4.9% that first year, but then it goes up. So the plan is once this property is renovated and done, we're going to get it appraised, refi, pay off the HELOC and then have a mortgage on the property. Um, so you definitely want to have a long-term vision, especially this HELOC. It's, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's not like a $10,000 HELOC. So you definitely need to have a game plan of it, but you can have leverage in the buying process when you're a cash buyer. Absolutely. Very and well this property wouldn't appraise, honestly, like <laughs> no one that needed a loan or needed a bank to back them would be able to probably get this property. It fell through twice beforehand. So some of these fixer upper properties, you have to kind of be a cash buyer or else the prop like a bank's not gonna lend you on it. They're smarter than that. That's why inspections exist. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'm gonna change the subject about something that I'm curious about. Mm -hmm. You know a lot about land hacking. That means you know a lot about STR regulations. So zoning and STR regulations, for those that don't know, are different. There's yes. what you can build and put on a site. And then there's what the Airbnb law is in an area. What's like the biggest thing you've learned since getting involved in this game, like all the way back from the yurt until now? Like what's the, what's the biggest lesson or most peculiar thing that you learned about STR regulations that might help a rookie. Like I want to help, I want to help people go zero to one. We want to help people go zero to one. So what's something that you learned about regulations that would help uh, the audience? Yes, good question. So two things, when it comes to city and county regulations, your best friend will be unincorporated. Um, if you can purchase an unincorporated, if the city has short-term rental regulations in terms of I need a permit, you need to pay us for this, it needs to get inspected you will likely not fall into that. So that is a complete hack. And if you are coming in, buying a property like most of us are, not many people are already with the property converting it, you can buy strategically and unincorporated or not fall into those city lines. And then when it comes to short-term rental regulations, there's a fine line of going into an extremely competitive market and then absolutely no competition. Um, the Robinsons, you know, they kind of claim that you don't want to go into a no competition area because they could come up with some rules that completely shut down your business. And I do agree with that. I think there is a risk when you go into an area that has nothing set up. But I also acknowledgedly know that I don't want to be the Joshua Tree investor, the Gatlinburg investor. I do not want to compete with 4,000 Airbnbs at all. Well, I'm going to add. So normally we, we try to keep the talk about the Fetch itself. We're doing minimum on the pod. But what we do, one of the things that we do really well is we list all the regulations by city, county, or state on our site. And like that alone sometimes is why people sign up because it removes all the headache of like calling the county, calling the yeah. township, calling. And there are people that their coaching programs literally teach you how to do it because it's intimidating. They don't answer the phone. They're off at lunch. They're off doing whatever. They, they're off at 4.30, you know? So what you're talking about is super, super important, making sure you get into the right market uh, making sure you're very strategic about it because if, what if they up the rules on you? What if they say it's a minimum 30 day stay and you have to pivot to midterm rentals and maybe that's not a market for midterm rentals, for example. Um, David, you're about to say something? Yeah, so I have a funny story about this actually. Just a few days ago, I, I was looking into a property up in Michigan 
and it's kind of a smaller town, Michigan. And on there, they did on their county website, they had a map of like where STRs were allowed, but I was farther south than that map. And so I called the planning department didn't get anybody because I got somebody's voicemail, left them a message, got some old grumpy guy that answered the phone for me whenever I finally called him again. And I said, hey, I was just curious what the STR regulations are here. <laughs> Is exactly the response that I got. And he was like, we've we've had some problems with them around the lake, but if you need to talk to somebody, that's so-and-so township, do you need to call this person instead? And he just didn't want anything to do with it. And then also the realtor that's selling the home, I called him and asked him, hey, do you know what the regulations are for this property? And he said, I don't like to be the one to tell people that you need to call the county. So he also was trying to like kind of be like, you know, obtuse about it. And I was so just funny, you know, story like it, it is a little bit intimidating whenever you're trying to call these county offices because sometimes they've had bad experiences with it. And they uh, they don't want to uh, divulge the information that is their job to divulge. hundred mm -hmm. percent. And I always say like working with a realtor that knows the business of short term rentals is so important because you are relying, I mean, they're getting a commission of that purchase. So they should have to do some work also. Um, the property that we actually just purchased, like on the Zillow description, it said like would be a perfect short-term rental unincorporated. And I was familiar with the area. So I knew it flew with flying colors, but like interview your realtors. And if they don't know the short-term rental industry, they don't know laws, like you don't have to work with them. I mean, obviously in small towns, like you only have a few options, but don't feel like that first person you have to work with. They should be able to guide you in this industry because that's, I think that's such like an underrated realtor market. They should be just specific to short-term rentals and they would be people like absolutely booming. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I forget who we were just interviewing not too long ago, but they were talking about, yeah, realtors that are like short-term rental specific, like, and they actually really know it in those markets. But then uh, he was talking about flipping in markets he's like if you would have a flipper that would actually like make it look like an str instead of everything gray and everything stainless steel and blah 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 you know if they would actually flip it and work with like i think it might have been with carwells i'm not sure but they were saying if you would be able to design it really really well and then sell it as a turnkey package obviously furniture doesn't translate to price whenever it's appraised blah 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 but if you have some investor that doesn't want to have to deal with finding a property buying it fixing it up furnishing it, making it look really, really nice, A plus photos. And then, you know, you can just hand it to those people with a, a bow on top. They're willing to pay top dollar. Mm -hmm. I have a generic question and I apologize if this is too basic. <laughs> How do you deal with somebody who you hustled and worked really hard to get a good review and they give you a one or a two star? How do you first of all, emotionally cope with it? Cause I like just ruins my week. <laughs> how do you deal with such a thing? How do you go about it? I, I, sorry if it's a basic question. I feel like people would want to know. Yeah, that is a great question. Honestly, reviews are the backbone of the industry with Airbnbs. So it is a very common concern and everyone's thinking it, whether they say it or not. So we appreciate the honesty, but my first thing is you cannot be emotionally attached to every single guest you host. I know it's your property and like your blood, sweat and tears are in it and you love it, but don't take any offense. Like you're not everyone's cup of tea whatsoever. And that is totally fine. So the first six months or year of your business, just try removing yourself from that emotional attachment you're going to have. And I have never had someone leave us a one or two star, but I've had some three stars and Airbnb did come out with a new tool that you can request on removing reviews if it's not an accurate, you know, depiction or if they're putting like their personal opinion on it and it's not like actually in regards to the listing, you can get that removed and I actually got one removed. Um, they suggested that we didn't 
like shovel off their car for them in the snow. And I was like, you know, that's not really a service we provide. It's like personally removing snow from your car. So I got that one removed, but then I went to go get another three-star one removed and they said no. So it's always worth trying if you feel like that review could be on like the fine line. Um, and I always, always respond to reviews on our listings, good and bad. It can be such a great way to educate that future guest because the only ones really reading your reviews are people that want to stay with you. So if someone ever mentions like, oh, you know, the house was a little hot in the summer, there's no AC, that gives you potential to give more info about your property that's not in your listing. So for example, I would be like, well, it's, you know, actually a really energy efficient built house. We have concrete floors, which keeps the home cool. We have the windows, which you can open at night and it gets down to like 50 degrees. So it just gives you more room to respond about your listing and educate someone. Um, but honestly, you just can't get super butthurt. One or two stars, I would probably go to war with Airbnb because people <laughs> don't realize how much that can bring your listing down. And also I know of people, I haven't done this, but they're leaving little like fridge magnets about like what is a one star, two star, three star, four star look like um, in your property and like how to rate it. Because I honestly think people just aren't educated or understand what a two or three star can actually do to your listing. And I honestly ask for reviews. Like every time someone checks out, I just blatantly ask. But if it's someone that I know is going to leave a bad review, I'll just skip that message and just like honestly cross my fingers they don't leave one. Yeah. <laughs> so are you doing anything? Uh, I mean, so I don't know if we got the full picture of the portfolio now. We have the yurt, we have the property that you're mm -hmm. working on. And then what, uh, was there anything else a, in there? Yes, we do have a single family home, which is at 8,000 feet. So it's kind of a unique stay. It's not for everyone. I probably have learned the most, especially with the year in this house, that I would rather be more honest and blunt about what they're getting into rather than trying to host someone who's not going to have a good time. I had a guest once, she just had like every day there was something different, like this, that, every day. And then by like the third day, she sent me a picture of water that was like really cloudy and was like, the water's coming out like this. And I was like, that's weird. And I showed it to my husband. I was like, do you think the well's like going out? And I was like, oh, send me a picture of the toilet and let's see if it's like in everywhere the water is. And there was, and then she like demanded to stay somewhere else, wanted her service fee back, which is money out of our pockets. We don't see the service fee. And then we actually were at the property like two weeks later and we found dirt and sand in the drains. And my husband was like, they 100% put dirt and sand into the glasses that they sent pictures because we had our cleaner go up after. And she was like, the water's like, she sent me a video. It was like, it's completely fine. So that was my bad of asking for photos and not videos. And, you know, there's a lot of ways you could have handled that one, but I like gave her all her money back and gave her the service fee back. And I was just like, you know, she wasn't, she would have never been happy with anything. So. Yeah. There's, there's definitely gotta be like Reddit threads out there that are like how to hack your Airbnb stays to where you can go stay somewhere for free. Because I always just like think about how, how scary, because we actually had, it was a, somebody that was staying in our tiny house and there was a mouse in there and she took a picture of the mouse and then she sent it in. And I was like, okay, like we got an exterminator there the next day, but she was like, no, I want to leave. And so she got a full refund, you know, Airbnb supported her, yada, yada. And then we got the, you know, the exterminator out there took care of everything. But then it got me thinking, I was like, I could go stay at a $8,000 a night cabin in Gatlinburg and go buy three mice from PetSmart and throw them out on the floor and take a picture of them. Like, like who's to say that people aren't doing that, you know, like that's, that's so shady. And I don't know how, what kind of good workaround there really is for it other than just hoping people are going to be decent people, but they sound like they maybe weren't. 
Yeah. Yeah. I will say we, um, I think once you get to a certain caliber of like nightly rates, you kind of get rid of those people, but every season we just have like the one Karen who she like walked in and started mopping the floor. And I was just like, you know, I don't, I wouldn't mop an Airbnb floor. Like, I don't know why you're walking and doing that first thing. So there's always going to be that person, but honestly, like 99% of the people outweigh that 1%. And that's why all of us keep going into this business, but it's hospitality first. Customer service is always number one. And if you don't focus on that, like you're going to hate this business, honestly, it's not for you. Completely agree. Completely agree. Totally agree with that. I, I have a, I'm another oddball question. Okay. So <laughs> if anyone's ever been to these short-term rental conferences, they'll see a lot of husband and wife teams. And um, they, they are teaming up together to build up their short-term rental Airbnb empire. Um, first of all, I follow you on Instagram. You and your husband are very cute. Um, do you have any advice to all the budding, um, starting out husband and wife teams out there that maybe would look at you as inspiration? Um, how, to, how to balance the, the uh, empire building with the relationship? Do you have any advice for those yeah. people out there? That is a great question. I've actually like never been asked that I feel, and it's definitely a dynamic. Um, I think it is such a cool time that we live in that you can build your own business with your partner and your spouse while you both do your own things day to day, if that's what you choose to do. Like that is so amazing that that is our reality. And my biggest, biggest thing I suggest is each of you are going to have your place in the business and you need to kind of know where one is gonna do really well and one's not gonna do really well. And you need to honestly just be realistic that that's their part of the business that they bring and this is yours. So for example, my husband is super handy. Like he can fix anything. Our skid steer axle broke two or three weeks ago. We flew in, bought a $500 part and he spent two days and we were out there and he repaired it himself. And I was just like, I don't know how you do this, <laughs> but he's never responded to a guest message once in three years. So we know our parts in the business. And I honestly, in the beginning was like, well, let me show you how to respond to a guest just in case. And then after a few months, I was like, you know, that's just like not easy for him. And it's really easy for me. And I'm not out there like fixing the pipes when they break. So I think it's really important to just focus on like what comes easy to the person and don't force that you guys need to know everything about the entire business equally, because that's not going to be the case. And also, I think just being very clear about your visions, real estate is an expensive and high capital industry. And we are both on the same page of like where we want to go, how we want to scale, if we want to have partnerships or not. And I think that's a really honest conversation that has to happen because it would be difficult if we were on completely different pages of scaling and how we wanted to do this. Um, and if one's on board and one's not, bring them to a short-term rental conference and they'll be convinced. It, it sounds like um, you have to be very present and aware of what each person's skills are and be accepting of those skills. Otherwise, you're going to have friction and almost like don't do it unless you know that going in what that's going to be and not expect them to do what you know how to do, but expect them to be good at what they love and what they're good at and put them on that side of the business, put yourself on the other. I think that's really, really cool advice. Yeah, exactly. I think you aren't going to last if you're, if I'm pushing him to respond to guest messages and pricing the calendar, like that's not his forte. He doesn't even like respond to an email. I respond, I do all his emails because it's so easy for me. And like when we're at the house and something needs to be fixed, like I'm not the one being called to do that. And you won't last if you're making him do this and you do this and you don't actually enjoy that. So really highlight each other's skills. 
Um, and honestly, we don't ever fight or bicker about the business, thankfully. But one time, like if there's a guest that comes to me and is having like an absolute meltdown crisis, like I'm just like, oh my gosh, we have to solve this. Like we need to do this and this and this. And he's like, all right, no one is dying. Everyone is safe. Like let's regroup. Like we're these, we're not bending over backwards for these people. But if you were the one to respond to all of our guests, I don't think we'd have any guests because he's like <laughs> not, not the most oriented about customer service, but it's good to have that balance. And it's always nice to have someone to bounce things back and forth. Um, so you're not just making it by yourself with the decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean, like you, you whenever you're getting into this, I mean, you are creating a business, you know, so you want to treat it yeah. like a business. So you have a business partner that just so happens to be your life partner. And so you're wanting to make sure that you're having, I mean, like it wouldn't make sense if somebody was at a job and you had two people that are both doing the same job or you're trying to get them to do a part of your job. So you just need to have a delineation of responsibilities. And yeah, it makes life go so much smoother because uh, like I, if I was designing or, uh, you know, uh, putting the decor in, in a place, no one was there. But my wife, she takes care of all of that for us and it looks fantastic. So yeah, we have that. Uh, it's always good to have a good relationship to where like, okay, this is what you're good at. You do that. This is what I'm good at. I'll do this. Yep, exactly. Super. Um, okay. So I think we need to start moving into some of our uh, closing questions because we just had like 45 minutes blow by. <laughs> and uh, so one of our first questions that we like to ask people is, um, do you have in mind a favorite deal that you have done in the past? And what was the reason that it was your favorite? Um. I will say this. It could this, be a current deal. Yeah, this, this current, <laughs> it was very satisfying knowing that we were like the ones who called 11 months ago. And then 11 months later, we ended up, like the realtor wouldn't even give us the time of day. Like he wouldn't even call us. He wouldn't tell us anything about the property. I don't know why he must've had like something against us or he just is a bad realtor, but he literally would not tell us like one thing about it. He wouldn't even talk to us. He was the worst to negotiate with. And like, at the end of the day, we walked away as that buyer and he was salty that the owner signed at our negotiation offer after inspection, we ended up getting it. I think like $17,000 less than what our offer was due to inspection results. And like, he was salty about that. And I was just like, you can't be salty if your seller signed it. So yeah, and you're you're making money. What's your problem here, man? <laughs> yeah, he just like I mean, six fifty listing price. I think we end up getting it for three ninety five. So he was hopeful with that. Price. Yeah, he lost a little bit of cash, but he also made some money instead of sitting on it yeah. for eleven months. Yeah, exactly. Even when I called him about the property, he's like, "Let me send you the inspection report because you probably won't even want to buy it after that." And I was just like, "Isn't your job to like sell this property? Like, you're not doing that good." But really that was definitely. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people look up to you now. So who do you look up to? Is there an expert that you look up to that you're like, I learn a lot from that person? Yeah, I will say, I mean, honestly, so many of my friends are in this industry and I feel so grateful that I know so many people that all of us are following on social media and I can actually talk to them and you know, there's a conference next week and I'm staying with the Carwells and we'll see Maddie and Skylar and everything like that is so cool. I will say when I went to the Rob Bill conference, I definitely was like fangirl because I feel like he was one of the first that I actually started watching in this industry. And then it, you know, it spirals to the Robinsons because they're friends and then Kai Andrews and it keeps going. But I was definitely like a little fangirl of Rob Bill because he has done such a good job at organically growing his portfolio. And I mean, it's, absolutely through the roof now as you know like you're working you know in his coaching program and 
I'd say he definitely is inspiring. I'm not trying to be someone that has 500 doors. I do not want that. I will tell anyone that. I want the cash flow over the doors. So I'm not trying to be like the most real estate doors in the industry whatsoever. I completely agree. Yeah, whenever we uh, we innovate, or interviewed Sarah with Carwells, she was saying that uh, Mike Elefante was like one of the people she looks up to the most because oh. she was, I, th- I believe it was her. But she was saying yeah. that like, he's the epitome of do something like one time, once a year, really, really well, like take one property, knock it out of the park. And you, you know, you net probably dollars $80,000 a year off of that one property instead of then, you know, you go to the other side of things like Sean Rachajik with uh, uh, the host of Airbnb automated where he's got, you know, like 150 doors or something like that. And we're like, that just sounds like such a headache for, you know, 80 bucks a night. That doesn't sound. So yeah. I think, uh, yeah. And this, this community that we're in, especially with Rob, cause Yoni and I, we met through Rob um it it, we're more focused on like the big cool unique stays because it just so happens and has the luxury that that the unique the cool stays that we're all drawn to and we want to like you know flex that creative muscle also make the most money so it's a win-win for all of us and so yeah i completely agree with that yeah mike alfonte is awesome he asked me he was going to rent out his van he like reached out to our experience i was like i'm honored that you take you're kidding that's so cool He's like, was it worth it? And I was like, no, it's not. Don't do it. Sell it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, okay. Uh, next one. Uh, do you have any sort of daily habits that you think has kind of helped you excel up to the level that you're at? We, you know, we see a lot of successful people that do things uh, like, you know, kind of periodically that, uh, you know, successful habits, anything you have? Yeah, I would say, which people are going to be like this, why does this relate to a business? But I really prioritize like wellness, nutrition, exercise. And I know it doesn't sound directly related to your business, but I truthfully believe like if you personally and wellness wise aren't optimized, like how are you going to optimize a business and grow? There's a lot of demand that these businesses take out of you, whether it's time or attention, work, like actually working at the business, like blood, sweat and tears. So I really try to focus on that. Um, I also I'm very grateful years ago when I decided to share my story on social media that I decided that that was super unexpected to be able to talk to you guys and so many like-minded people in this industry. I never thought that would happen. So don't be afraid to share your wins and failures with people or online. Um, there's a lot of growth that can happen and let some, learn from someone else's mistakes. You don't have to make it. So I'm going to go off, off uh, rogue off of our normal list because you just mentioned Instagram. And so my, my piddly little 250 followers that I have, I'm trying to like help grow that. So for listeners and myself, how does somebody go about trying to like help grow their following? Yeah. I mean, I'm not like an expert over here, but I definitely feel like I've learned a lot over the last few years. My biggest funny thing as you're someone who's in this industry is the things going to do the best or go the most viral are going to be like the biggest wins or the most drama guests that you have ever hosted. And I try not to, I'm not like telling anyone to shy away from that, but let those things be what builds you traction and then build that community day in and day out. I love Instagram stories. I kind of in the phase right now, love Instagram over TikTok, but definitely utilize like reels and videos, talking, get comfortable talking to the camera, even though it takes like a ton of practice Um, and treat your Airbnb business the same. It's also an algorithm just like social media. They, when they come out with new features, they want you to use those just like TikTok wants you to use longer videos or vice versa. Um, but yeah, just every, it's a lot of work every day, but so many opportunities can come from it like this, for example. So don't be afraid to share your story. My husband doesn't even follow me on Instagram. He's never seen one video I've ever made. 
and my most viral videos of him and i was like this is just very fitting and he's never seen it so don't be afraid to just kind of like put yourself out there for all you for all, for all the single people opposites attract just listen to that yeah. opposites <laughs> you will find your airbnb soulmate yes who, who won't who won't see your reels it's fine don't be afraid yeah. yeah one will come up like on his explore page he's like what is this and i'm like just swipe by don't look at it <laughs> Funny. that's really cute um okay so this is a question that we ask everybody um is there a book that you've read that has helped shape who you are as a person today um and if it's not a book it could be a podcast um but um let me know sort of what's something that has shaped you some some content out there that has shaped you that is a great great question um i will be honest that honestly i think the reason i'm even in real estate today is I started reading and listening to podcasts that were just the basic financial fundamentals. Like when I was in college, I didn't want to become someone who didn't know my money. I didn't want someone to control my money. I wanted to like never be in a situation where I couldn't do something because of that. So even though we all want to build in this real estate industry, you have to start with the fundamentals. Um, there's so many just like basic finance books that I think everyone should read before you start to read, you know, Robert Kiyosaki and you're trying to scale all these doors and stuff. Like you need to understand the basics of financials. Um, there's not like a specific book, I would say. Um, I have some in my Amazon store, I think that are like the most that I love, but just start with the basics, like YouTube podcast every day, you should be in it and like soaking in that information. It doesn't always matter who it is, but make sure, you know, you like authentically like that person and want to be don't listen to someone's opinion who you don't want to be because their opinion is kind of value, like not I, valuable to you. I, I, I totally feel you. It's like, like get, like seek advice from the person that's already where you want to yes. drive to. Um, and that's something um, where like people get tricked, like people are close with their family, but maybe people in your family aren't where you want to go. And like, mm -hmm. be very careful. And I've noticed that within my own life where I have to shut my own mouth um speaking for guidance um so i love what you just said yeah Get uncle joe talking about real estate advice and he owns no real estate you know <laughs> yeah. yeah i've definitely learned over time to kind of not like someone can take my time of two hours and talk about real estate and then they don't apply one ounce of knowledge they don't really care they're never going to look at it so when you start to become in that industry where you're becoming the expert you know respect your own time and only really like that's years of things that you've learned like everyone's gonna have to go through some of those growing pains so i don't know people are like can i get coffee and sit down with you and stuff and i'm like you know that's like four years in two hours like that's a lot of my time so just you know respect your own time too yeah awesome uh okay next one um do you have any sort of challenges in your business currently and how could our listeners help you out yeah, that is a great question. Um, I would say the challenge that we have is one time is hard. This business takes a lot of time um, and attention. When you're scaling properties, building out properties, the most time is in the beginning, which is such a hurdle because you're so ready to get started. And that's the most capital, the most time, the most attention is going to be needed is when you're in that beginning business. Um, so I would love to hear from your listeners that are also doing this. Like, what is the most optimized way they're doing these processes because you know we're renovating part-time a cabin while my husband's flying part-time airplanes so that can be a hard balance and 
also a reminder to you guys, like you don't have to just dive full into real estate. Like if that's his passion is fly airplanes and I'm not going to buy him a $50 million airplane. So right now we're going to let a company pay him to do it. Um, but yeah, I would say time processes, efficiency, those are all going to be crucial to a business. That's awesome. Yoni? Yes, I'm. I'm just. Uh, I'm having a, a a brain fog moment of trying to get my next uh, my next personal question here. Um, okay, so I know where to find you, but a lot of our <laughs> listeners don't know where to find you. And and just to be honest, I I would like you to list all the various ways people can work with you and mm -hmm. find you. So more than just Instagram, if there's a YouTube, TikTok. Like, like give them all the ads and give them all the ways they can work with you. Because I think listening to you for an hour um, intimately, I would say my impression of you is you're very smart, but you are able to um, synthesize your information in a very relatable way. And it's not like intimidating. Sometimes you talk to like a genius and they want you to know they're a genius. And then you yeah. kind of like get put off and you're like, I, I can't do what that person's doing because that's but you delivered it in such a relatable way. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that want to work with you. Do you have a coaching program? Do you have a mentorship program? Do you do like, how do people reach you all the various ways and how can they work with you? Yes. Thank you for all the kind words. Um, you can find me on TikTok. Most people probably see me on TikTok, Instagram. It's just at Zoe Berghoff. Just me, OG, I will never message you about crypto <laughs> um, with all the bank accounts going out. And then I also offer one-on-one -on -one consultations. I do have a course specific to glamping, land hacking, land development. And I do have a wealth masterclass, which is 12 weeks where I work with you to get into real estate. So it's designed for that person who knows they want to have this goal, but it's a three or five-year goal. They need to get everything else right. You know, I don't want you to be investing in real estate while you have 200,000 in student loans. Like we need to tackle the fundamentals first. Um, but yeah, you can find me on my website. It's just zoeberghoff.com. Message me on socials. I respond to every DM. That's my goal. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to work with some of you guys. And thank you guys for having me. It's been awesome. And you guys are doing great things out there. Thank you. And that's for okay. everyone listening. That's Z-O-E-Y-B-E-R-G-H-O-F-F. And yes. beware of the fake accounts. They are terrible people. She does not do Forex or Bitcoin. None of that's. <laughs> Seriously. Yes. Thank you. That is, that's me. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yoni, where can people find more about you, buddy? I'm at Yonatan Waxman at and at fetchit.ai um, on Instagram, uh, at, at fetchit.ai uh, on TikTok, uh, you, the YouTube, just look up fetchit. That's where you can find the podcast, the long form podcast of David and I. David, how about you? Uh, I'm just David Rosenbeck on Instagram and trying to, after listening to her, now I'm going to try and uh, increase my follower count a little bit. But the fetchit uh, uh, Instagram has been getting some good stuff in there lately. So go check it out. And just for uh, the gentleman's agreement with the audience is uh, we work for you. So, um, and, and I'm going to just push everybody, follow David. We have to get him to 1K. <laughs> we have to get him to 1K. Uh, I need to start yeah. posting more then. <laughs> All right. Awesome. I appreciate that, Yoni. Zoe, thank you so much. Anything else before we get you out of here? Um, no, thank you guys for having me. It's been awesome. And Follow me for updates on this renovation cabin that we have coming our way. 
I just gave you a follow. I'm, I'm super excited to see how it goes because I want to see how rough it looks beforehand. And I know you guys are going to knock it out of the park. Yeah. Okay. Yes. This has been another episode of the Fetch It podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Peace.